Hi, this is Jay Koplowitz, producer of Lowdown on Low Code. Here to kick things off are your hosts, Rob Koplowitz and Ryan Dugid. Welcome, everybody. This is episode three of Lowdown on Low Code. Um, I'm Rob Koplowitz. I'm here with your co-host, Ryan Dugid. Ryan, want to wave and say hello? Good see you today, Rob, and uh, looking forward to another fantastic episode. Yeah, I'm excited about about this one because I think this is actually jumping into a topic which is which is extremely critical, um, and I think often overlooked. So I'm going to give a, just a little bit of a background because the background comes as of something that happened this morning, and um, I was on a um, I was on a webinar with one of the vendors in the space, Flowforma, um, who does some really really nice work here. And they were going through their 2024 predictions, but but first they went and revisited their 2023 predictions. And and in that, one of the predictions that they said they missed on very badly was 2023 would be the year of the business developer. This is the year that we embraced and actually expanded the role of the business developer and really started seeing that sort of transformational value that we all think is going to come from this. Uh, eventually, and they said, "Well, you know, it's just a miss, you know." And I think from a, from a product perspective, it's nothing to do with with their product. I'm quite familiar with their product, and it's really quite accessible um, to business developers. But there's something else that's going on here. So we're really excited today um, to have as our guest Jessica De Oliveira. So a, a little bit of background on Jessica. Um, Jessica and I actually worked together at Forrester. Um, we were excited uh, to bring Jessica in because Jessica brought a focus on the business developer and, and how the business developer would become a, a part of this whole code, whole low code uh, phenomenon. Jessica is herself a, a business developer, and um, but more importantly, um, is is what I would describe as a change agent, someone who is actually out there working to try to get organizations to embrace and expand business developer programs. Um, Jessica is the author of uh, of, of a um, a newsletter uh, called Higher Low Code, um, and um, uh, and so please welcome Jessica De Oliveira. There you are. Thank Hi, you, Jessica. Rob. Hi, you. you guys again. <laughs> Great to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to start off a little bit provocative um, because I think that Jessica and Ryan have played important but different roles in this landscape. So Jessica, as I mentioned, developer, change agent, trying to enable business development. Ryan, with a couple of significant companies, trying to build products that are very accessible and maybe even pleasurable for the business developer. Um, so let me start with you, Jessica. Are the products that these organizations are building, you know, and not all of them, not everybody is actually aiming at the business developer, but in general, those organizations that are trying to bring on business developers from a technical perspective, are they building the tools that we need in order to be successful in this? As far as building the tools that we need, uh, from a business developer's perspective, the roles that a business developer typically holds are roles in the business. So they have all the information that is necessary to build the internal tools, the software engagement tools that the department or the business is going to utilize. So it actually is very useful. The idea of using low code comes into streamlining the access to that information, visualizing that information, controlling access to, to that information and things of that sort. So, yes, it is actually useful. 
Ryan, did you guys build what you intended to build? <laughs> and is there more work to be done? Yeah, I, you know, if you're ever talking to a product person who tells you the job's done, that's a little <laughs> scary, right? Although, I mean, there's software that's feature complete for sure. Um, you know, what self-scoring, I give myself like a, maybe a 70% in terms of what we were able to achieve with the, the, the state of the, the business at the time. Um, but I think there's so much more to do. And I think a large part of that is around vendors setting big vision and ambitious goals, right? So there's a lot of companies out there because low code is in many ways a mature space in terms of some of the features and functions. There's a lot of companies out there that are established, they're mature, they're, they're trying to scratch out the, those extra bits of, of profit. Uh, you know, maybe there's some PE involved and there's pressure around the financials or what have you, or investors looking for returns. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the process of, of pursuing that, you can often lose sight of what's the big picture here, right? And the big picture, I think, certainly for me and, and my goals moving forward in the industry are to continue to strive towards enabling more and more people to be able to tackle increasingly sophisticated problems with this kind of technology, right? And so if we think about a spectrum from a, a developer to a person who can, to whom today low code is accessible all the way down to um, someone who aspires to be able to use the technology, how can I capture more and more of that population and, and tackle that traditional concern, which is like, hey, low code's a toy, it's for little problems, it's for internal things, Don't, you can't use it for customer centric, uh, you know, solutions, things like that. So, so you've got to have that big vision and then strive towards that. Are the tools still hard to use today? Do you still have to do training? I know Jessica, you and I have talked about this in the past, right? The, the sort of the university, the training programs, it still takes time to get up to speed. Like even for myself, if I'm looking at a new low-code technology, I, I can't just open up, say, a power platform, haven't used it in a while, and start building an app, right? Even as someone who knows the space, I have to do a refresher. I have to get familiar with the tools. So I think there's still a lot of opportunity. Um, but equally, I think we've come a long way from you know a decade ago or or more. So all right, so let me let me throw it back. Let's go ahead, Jessica. I'm sorry. I was going to say I do agree that there is a gap there as far as what needs to be learned when we talk about business developers. The problem with you know when we talk about low code, there are the the coding developers, the low code developers, and the business developers. They they both have what the other needs. Low code developers needs that they need to understand more of that business acumen and and what's happening in the business rather than just receiving requirements and running off with it, right? And then the business developer needs to understand what happens in development, development operations, and everything that comes along with that. So I, I think that that's where there may be uh, some gaps as far as in you say you think about the big vision, but there are some some smaller things that need to happen bringing on a business developer to be able to easily acclimate or be ready to acclimate to a, a low code software. So Jessica, let me, let me throw out this. Let's, let's do a hypothetical here. I'm i I'm the CIO of big mega corp and we have a huge transformation challenge ahead of us. We have a lot of automation that we want to do. I've been reading higher low code. Um, but you know, people just don't want to do it. <laughs> it's right. You know, I got an Excel spreadsheet and email. I'm fine. Let me do my job. How do I go about kickstarting this program? How do I go about 
you know, what I will often for, you know, you know, refer to as make business development part of the organizational DNA. What, what steps do I have to take and how should I be thinking about this? I think that the beginning point is understanding first, of course, why we're going to adopt low code or change in the first place. I think that once you establish that and understand it deeply, you can move forward from there with choosing the platform and so on and so forth. So, so let me ask a question. Other... I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me, let me jump in. No worries. Who does this vision come from? Is this, is this a C-level vision that says we're on a mission to change how we do work and it's going to involve everybody? Where, where, where does this sort of big vision come from? From the work that we've done before, we see that it's mostly like the information teams and the innovation teams that say, we want to be able to address a lot of the things that are sitting on the backlog, or we want to stop or put some hindrance to shadow IT if that's the issue, right? right? So that's what I mean by like understanding what the problem is. It's usually innovation teams and information officers that are concerned about these things and trying to make a change that way. Yeah, I just, <clears throat> I think and, and this is just something you, you said there, Jessica, that got me thinking around the, the kind of long tail and scale problem, right? Because it is like that idea of there's a backlog, right? Like yeah. we're a company and we need to do some stuff to be more efficient, effective. We think the stuff is applications, software, and our priorities for this year with our limited set of resources, because we all have to operate with constraints, are these five apps in this order for this reason, biggest bang for buck, highest visible project, customer facing, revenue generating, all that kind of thing. And then there's the other stuff, right? And, and I think this is for people who don't understand low codes and scale. The other stuff is like, it is the legit long tail. Like it's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of problems. And so there's a bunch of people in the business going, well, but wait, like if we're going to do five, like I've got, and so you get this orders of magnitude thing. Like I always used to try to, you know, when I was talking to customers about this on the vendor side, I'm like, okay, so five apps you're going to build this year. And I bet they've got big paybacks, right? Big expense, big developer teams, probably big risk that you don't want to acknowledge, right? And and not just risk of getting it built, but risk it actually delivers on the need, right? And so you've got some math to do there around the expected value of, of that investment. And then you go to the other side of it, where it's like, there's 100,000 known problems in this business that are slowing us down. There's like, you know, just grit in the gears and cogs every day, making us less efficient, less effective. And the payback on any of those things is probably pretty small, right? But, but now you've got this like scale vector where it's like, okay, I'm going to solve a thousand problems this year with a dollar payback, or am I going to solve one problem with a thousand dollar payback? Now, by the way, the thousand problems, 70% are going to be hits. Cool. The one, if it's not right, then you just blew a thousand dollars. Right. And so, so now put on your gambling hat and you're going to Vegas. I'm going to go over here. Right. And it's not the answer is both. But, right. But it's that kind of thing where that tackling that backlog. So then, Jessica, to your point, someone has to say, you know, we got to go do this. Like, this is an imperative. We, th these problems won't solve themselves and we can't stick our head in the sand. Well, as far as that, and that's actually one of the major issues, what you're referring to is when we spoke to customers before, Everyone would jump to what would be the platform they're going to utilize, whereas the greater challenge that they, they, they actually needed to understand was 
what fits within the budget of what we have to work with. That's the first thing. And that typically organizations end up landing on a spot where they have a software or a, a budget to work with, and they end up with whatever software fits within the resources that they were allocated, right? And then they had this idea that this one software is going to do everything when really and truly it won't. When you were talking about that, those thousands of things, like that's when we end up with other, like, I, I guess in some cases, some people might consider this lower value uh, uh, development in, in creation of tools and solutions. You end up with a uh, smaller, uh, more adaptable tools like an Airtable or something like that to yep. handle the small operation things. And then the major, uh, more major platforms to handle the the bigger solutions that need to happen. And so one of the major constraints is resources when we talk about adopting enterprise low code in any way, shape or form. And the fact that there is no one size fit all tool, right? And, and that you have different types of developers that are gonna be implementing things along the way, depending on what tools you end up adopting in, in the end. So let me let me throw out a let me throw out a, a, a question um, uh, first to you, Jessica, in terms of sort of you know a user change agent on this, and then and then Ryan for you in terms of somebody who's developing these things. There well, now obviously we know these things are not all built the same, right? We know that you know the people who buy out systems and bring it in are probably addressing a big, very different problem than the people who are bringing in Airtable, but. Let's look at that sort of business developer focused um, area for, for, for just a minute here. If I look at the folks and you guys can kind of jump in here and tell me, you know, you know, some others examples, but, you know, QuickBase, TrackV, Airtable, Smartsheet, Smartsheet might be more collaborative work management, but, you know, these types of tools that, that we think of as being very business developer focused, um, business developer accessible. Um, Jessica, how should I really be thinking about this? Uh, and I'll give you an example. When I was young and had a lot of hair and it was black, um, you know, I could develop applications in Lotus Notes. They were relatively, you know, relatively sophisticated applications, but I could do it because I could use... That's last I, century, Rob, right? Just that to, was just... very, that was absolutely the last century. Yeah, it was in the 1990s. Some of that code's probably still floating around out there. I used to, I, I one time took a, took an inquiry from a client that was using an app that they had to get off of. It's like, I built that app. Um, but, you know, that being said, I was not a computer science major. Um, I did not have a highly technical background, but I could build these applications uh, in Lotus Notes because I was familiar with, this is even more embarrassing, with, 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 with Lotus 1, 2, 3, right? <laughs> As opposed to Excel. These tools that we're talking about, these Airtables, these track vias, et cetera, Flowform, I threw in there. What is really the technical impediment? How, could, could, what do I have to be in my background to be able to access, to access these tools and be effective with them? I'll start with you, Jessica. I'd say the, the professional that knows how to use a spreadsheet, they're already going to be able to hit the ground running once you just show them where things are. And I, I think that that's one of the majors in for professionals. You know how to use a spreadsheet. You know how to see and view a tab, tabular set of information. You're good to go. That's the first part for data. As far as a, a visual interface goes, if you know how to put together a PowerPoint, I mean, I know it sounds really simple, but these are the basics. Most people think they, they hear developer and they think they're, they're incapable of doing a lot of these things. 
-hmm. But when it comes to actually learning, then you can get deeper into how you relate information and, and integrate things and all that other stuff. But the basics of it is understanding how to put data into a schema. Yeah. Usually it's in some sort of like tabular view and how to uh, put components onto a screen that can bind to that data and then commit to actions that will create automation and, and logic in your interfaces. I'm, I try to dumb that down as much as possible, but that's it from the basic perspective. I mean, it's to not me, that that's hard. It. It's not. It's not it, a technical really challenge, not. Ryan. Is that at some level, without sort of getting into your earlier statement about we want to enable very sophisticated applications, which we know will be yeah, yeah. yeah, to get to that long tail, is that sort of the, how you guys thought about it from building application perspective? Oh, the journey for sure, right? Like this. Starting point, I think, for anyone is, is to Jessica's point, this concept of the Excel user, right? Mm -hmm. um, I do remember there was a, a meeting I went to for a very large vendor one time that was starting their journey on this front. And, they, and their goal was, you know, if you can use PowerPoint, and so the story goes, and like, uh, PowerPoint to a full-blown application might be one step too far just yet, right? Like, J Jessica, to your point, I think on the interface side, that's an interesting place to explore, right? Mm -hmm. What Excel is super interesting because if you look at an Excel user and this from my days in Microsoft, right? Like they're fascinating because it's everything from I can key numbers into cells mm -hmm. through to I build massive apps with millions of rows and connect it to external data sources, right? And people, the cool thing about Excel is people can stop wherever they want on that journey or, or push through and progressively learn. And I think what's super interesting about something like Excel, and then this translates to these these new products in that category, like an Airtable, is that you go a little on the journey and then and then what if, and what if, and then someone shows you like, oh, have you seen this formula? Oh, did you know you could do a left trim there? Oh, have you, let me introduce you to a pivot table. And and so people, you kind of, and, and each time you go on that journey, you feel a little special and you feel, you know, rewarded and you achieve more and you help someone more out, right? And, and this is where I think, so low code right now hasn't perfected getting you in on that journey and then necessarily taking you on that journey in the way that Excel did. And this is why things like the ClickUp and the Smartsheet and the Airtable, I think they've been so successful because they start with, if you just want, it's Excel, but in a browser and shareable and, you know, collaborative and all that. Cool. Gotcha. You want to then start using formulas and doing grouping and sorting and filtering and having some visualizations in there goes on that journey. And I, I think that's part of what's needed. And Jessica, to your point, and I'd love, like, I'd love you to explore it a little more for us. So it's not just the, the old timeies or the vendor side of this justifying their existence. Right. But this idea that there's not one solution. I've, you know, hey, my enterprise agreement with Microsoft is Power Platform, check, set, budget thing under control. We already own it anyway. Let's just, that's our solution for everything. Or IT standardized on service now. Those are, honestly, those are the two I hear all the time. And you're like, cool, you're Walmart, right? Just pick an example. You probably need Power Platform. You probably need service now. You probably have out systems. I'm sure the Airtable somewhere in your organization. I know you have Nintex. I know you have QuickBase. I know you're using Knowledge Lake, like all that stuff, right? And so 
So it's interesting to, to like to get your take on on that, like how people navigate that thing, where you you sort of have to break that dream or desire to have one thing, and then show them, okay, well, which thing should you have, and and how do you align people to those platforms based on their unique attributes? I uh, that's a good question. So I like to start from a model of, of course, what the problem is, and then classifying them based on who's going to be solving this problem in the organization. And typically I look at it like that individual will has a skill set that will align with a particular type of platform, right? So classing the problem, then moving on to identifying who's the developer and then who the what tool you're going to utilize to do that. You may end up depending on which problems you're trying to tackle and in what timeline you you're going to end up with multiple tools then I think that's given. The idea is that you don't, you can't use an Airtable to develop a mission critical tool, right? So you're definitely going to be utilizing something a little bit more mature for for your developers, your IT department or your local developers. So the idea that you're going to have a one size fit all tool is a little bit uh, far-fetched. And I think that what, what from interacting with folks, what happens is they usually just settle for what's within the bounds of what their people can do, what they can do. Yeah. Let me press on that for just a second, because I think there's a dynamic that we often, that we often miss here. I think it's really hard to get our, get our hands around. And I'd love you two guys to, to kind of weigh on this as well. So we're building an application. We're building it in OutSystems, we're building it in Mendex, we're building it in ServiceNow, we're building it in, uh, you know, one of the tools that we think of as maybe an accelerator used by more professional developers um, or, or people with more significant skills. Not something that we would think of as, I'm going to build 1,500 applications in OutSystems. There is something that I think is 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 critical to this, which is the nature of building in these tools, even if they're being built by dedicated developers, is that they are highly visual, they are highly interactive, they are highly iterative. So as opposed to traditional coding, where you provide requirements, and then you build something, and then you show it to the user, and they're like, they're not even close. You do, even in a professional development environment, have the ability to iterate and pull the business in, you know, much more quickly, much more effectively. I think Pega did this really, really well with some of their development studio tools where even if the user wasn't the developer, the user was actively providing feedback to the interfaces, actively providing feedback to the developers to provide in real time in the application. How significant is this? To me, this if we take this step, we bring the business user closer to the development process, which is critically important, even if it's separate from the next 2,000 applications in the long tail. Am I smoking the curtains? Maybe. Huh? <laughs> uh, well, so oof, how, oof. how to think about that. The, so I think the interesting piece in all of that, like if I unpack that, essentially it's the, it's the question that says how <laughs> – Historically, uh, probably everyone's seen that that little cartoon, right? That's like the developer, the user wanted, the architect described, the business analyst of whatever, game of telephone, all that type of thing, right? And so, so one of the big goals, I guess, is get the person who is closest to the problem 
involved, and this is a guess that you, you know, Forrester and you both had a hand in this, the, the fusion team, right? It's like, okay, we've got so we've got all these people and it sounds super trendy. And, and ultimately, and it's the thing to do, right? And ultimately, it's about, okay, I actually understand the problem and I'm in here. And so I think, Rob, maybe there's a piece to unpack, like you're talking about, okay, well, how did PEGA work? There's a piece to unpack here that says, okay, how have we tried to solve that problem as professional developers? When, when you were just, hey, carte blanche, I'm, I'm .NET, I'm deploying to Azure, fully customized application. How do I solve this problem? Well, I've got a business analyst, they capture requirements, da, da, da. we go do all these uh, you know, meetings and research and things like that. Well, what's actually happened is we got a lot more visual, right? And I, I don't know anyone in their right mind now who would go code up anything without saying, okay, I've gone through a whole bunch of work and the output is looking like Figma. Business person, does this make sense? And I can click around it and it's interactive. Yep, we call, we'll call this a prototype, right? And so I think the interesting question, maybe Jessica, it'd be good to hear what you're seeing out there in this regard, is how do you bring some of that goodness? Because trouble with low code is like people just start running, right? Like, oh, build, 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 build. There are a lot of really terrible low code apps built, not because the vendors have done anything wrong. Just people building were just building. Like I liken it to architect versus builder. Still get a house. Mm, lots of questions around how it was put together, right? And so the upfront planning. So what, like, what are you seeing out there, Jessica, in terms of people like building fusion teams or practices and trying to get the business person in and get more prototypey, iteratively? How's this going to work before we commit to it? Well, so what I've been seeing is, uh, and it seems like everyone's in California, but everyone, all of the companies on the West Coast, apparently, they're hiring uh, like business analysts to be that liaison, to be the runner between those who will actually be interfacing with the application and the developers of the application. And now they're starting to basically use uh, an asset that's already on the team to to be more of that person to make sure that once we roll this out, this is exactly what we needed. This solution is what we thought it would need. They're going to get the requirements and they're from from the end users and taking them to the developer. So they're now adding more to their duties. They're adding more to their role where they're more a part of that diverse team uh, using business analysts in in that in that sense so and and other roles as well uh, this kind of just speaks to how the business developer is becoming a lot of different people in the organization it's not just one set person but these are the actual requirements that they have of these people now that they're they need they need to understand what it means to go get requirements from the user give them a mock-up of what it might look like and then actually bring that back to developers to go ahead and make it so they have a runner now that's that's what i'm seeing and people are trying or should say organizations are trying to hire more for this type of role because it seems that it's lacking in that sense. Uh, the end users need to continue to provide where what they were hired to do. And there needs to be someone who's going to be able to support this transition into whatever digital transformation or the adoption of a new tool or streamlining whatever system that we're working on at the moment. And And that's what's happening. They're just appending onto roles that already exist in the organization. So, so Jessica, this, this role that you're describing, 
is this just what we used to call a business analyst, but taking advantage of new opportunities that w that we have available through low code? Is it is that that liaison role yeah, still just better? Or yeah, <laughs> different? adding to their duties, adding to their duties. Also, it's not just a, a, a business analyst. It's pretty much any role that can can align with understanding the two sides of it from the end user perspective and the developer. If you can go get requirements, and you understand what that means. And you you understand how to flesh those things out and bring them back to the developer, then you got it. You got the job. Right. Ryan, <laughs> any more questions for Jessica? Yeah. This, well, this has been great, but I don't want to cut you off if you have any more questions while we have her here. Oh no, I, I mean there's Yeah, lots bouncing around in my mind around this because <laughs> I think fundamentally, if I if I get to, you know, there's probably and obviously, we had a little bit of chat about this in the, the pre-meet, right? But there, there's this idea that we've just talked a lot about, okay, what's the technology need to look like? What do vendors need to do? And, and what are the roles and what have you? And then there's there's the incentives and the motivations and the rewards and the compensation and what have you that goes along with it. So I think if I had, and yeah, I mean, Jessica, I know in the past, like these are the two big topics I feel like, you know, and if my older memory serves me correctly here, um, you know, one is like, how do we train and educate and what can the vendors do and, and, and potentially how can vendors collectively work on that problem, right? And then the other one is how do we solve for just these cultural changes that have to happen? So it would be great. It'd be great to get sort of your parting thoughts on on those two dimensions, right? Like one, okay, vendors, you're all trying to make your product technically better, but what could you do to enable the masses? And then the other side is, you know, what advice would you give to business leaders that, that that are going to give the motivation and the encouragement for people to come on this journey and learn more and participate more in the process. Okay. So as far as vendors for, if you're referring to as far as training goes for training, I think that first of all, vendors have come a long way just four or five years ago, there was no access to any platform. Everything was gate kept. So the available training that's on the market is a great step up. And as far as what more they can do, I think that letting people know that it's there, because I tell people all the time, you can learn any local platform. Most of them have free training where you can go build and actually build an application. Right. So uh, a lot of from some of the research that's been done, a lot of universities are partnering with vendors to make sure that that's a skill that's being handled before you even get out of school. So that's adding to the, the widespread awareness or building up on the awareness. And that's a great start as far as, uh, what was the other one? What? Just the, the cultural, you know, if you go, okay, top down, like, what does a CEO do? What does the, the CIO do to try to, or, or specific line of business owners, right? Like I'm, I'm in HR and I want my team to, to do more, to build more, to be more efficient. And so how do I encourage, motivate? Like, is there, are there gold stars? You built an app, high fives? Like, what's the best approach there? I think that uh, you run into a few issues with, with some of the ideas that have been uh, prompted in the past, which is just kind of like complete rollout. And then you get pushback. So the idea I've, I've had in my mind about this idea is that it has to be a, a company-wide cultural change. And that's a big thing. So you to start with a contained space is where I would begin. Find people that are interested is where where most organizations that have already started. And then 
an organization that doesn't have any interest usually abandons the idea. But I think that if it becomes a company-wide change, that everyone has to be a part of this change, there can't be pushback if everyone's a part of it, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure people will be sour about the idea. Some There'll be people, but it has to be something that everyone has to be a part of. And it's not seemingly like it's just us and we're doing more and for less or for the same price or the same incentives. And if there is available resources for incentives, that's a great idea. And then maybe you'll have some bandwagoners who'll jump on board. But the idea here is in the end is, is to create everyone who are problem solvers and not just drones behind a computer anymore. And I think that's the main thing that business, creating a business development environment provides for an organization is show everyone that everyone can be a part of fixing the problem that you're complaining to IT about for the past how many of them. So, yeah. What, what yeah. A, it's interesting. I was, Rob, I was just, um, you know, future, future episode idea. Maybe we can get to a scale where we can invite the, the, the guy on the show. I was just listening to a podcast uh, with Jeffrey Moore, Crossing the Chasm. And yeah. something you said there, Jessica, just got me thinking about that, this idea of start in a place, right? So it's go find the department, the team, the function, the leader that says, uh, you know, I'm all in, right? And this is, like, honestly, this is usually how, like, in Intex anyway, this is where we saw the success. Like, someone gets it and goes with it. And then, and then, like, how do you just progressively build that flywheel around them? How do you take that into another organization and, and build and build and build? And, and so, like, this is something to explore at some point, Rob, there that, that is just, that sort of best practice to get the success, get the wins, showcase, be like, yeah. hey, eventually, because eventually across the chasm idea is like, oh, I can't not be like that. I can't not do what those people are doing, right? So it's like, how, like there's some journey there, I think, that's that's worth digging into. I, I, I agree. Definitely. And so I would sort of make two two comments as we close out. One, Jessica, your final comments, I think were just absolutely fantastic advice, spot on. Um, so much so that Ryan just puts you next to Jeffrey Moore, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Um, so, so listen, Jessica, we're at 30, we're at 35. We're, we're getting better guys. Uh, those of who've been listening, we're getting, we're getting better at trimming the podcast. Jessica, thank you so much. Absolutely fabulous, um, insights. Will you come on and join us again at some point? Most definitely. And thank you guys for having me as well. Okay. Ryan, any final thoughts? Uh, I think so good. Uh, I think we just, yeah, at some point, the, the next one, Jessica, maybe we do the whole, and how does AI change all of this? But that's, we'll, oh. we'll wrap it at that because that could be a long conversation. Yeah, so I'm ready <laughs> for that. Hour 35. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. Jessica, thank Thanks you very much. Jessica, uh, thank you again. Hire Low Code um, is, is the newsletter. Hiring Low Code. Hiring Low Code is where you, is where you can interact. Um, with Jessica in an ongoing way and get her advice on this topic.